Luke 16. In Newsweek, there was an article, elephant kills woman, then returns to funeral and tramples the corpse. True story, in India, an elephant killed a woman in India and returned to her funeral later, like days later, and trampled her lifeless corpse in front of everyone there. Uh, Maya Murmu, a 70-year-old woman, was attacked by the same wild elephant as she walked uh, to collect water there in India. Kind of a horrible story, but even a more horrible funeral. Um, you know, I've done some funerals and there's some weird things that happens at funerals. I could tell you stories, but they might be too personal. Um, but there's, there's weird things happen at funerals. Um, you know, uh, one funeral, I, this wasn't one that I did, but I just saw this in the news. When a funeral procession showed up to the cemetery, there was a cow that had been stuck in the grave hole that they dug for the casket. A cow walked through there and dropped in the hole. Uh, they had to wait while the backhoe tried to, you know, lift the cow out of the hole. That'd be a weird funeral. Um, but have you ever thought morbidly, what is your funeral going to be like? Um, and you're like, oh, that's something I don't want to think about. Um, some, people plan, some people plan their funerals uh, ahead of time. Have you ever noticed that? Some people have kind of that. Uh, but, but as it turns out, the mystery of death and where you go when you die is way more important than your funeral itself. Um, because that's what really matters. Once you die, your body is just a shell that's, you know, left and you have to wonder, okay, do you go north or south, heaven or hell? Do you know where you're gonna go? And also, how do you spend your life living here and now? Um, are you using it for the fullest as it relates to life after death? And that's what Luke chapter 16 explores. Um, in fact, Luke chapter 16 is kind of funny because it's not necessarily about death, but Luke chapter 16 explores this further than maybe any detailed uh, chapter in the Bible as far as what happens when a person dies, especially before Jesus died on the cross. There's a, there's a difference there that we'll talk about. Um, so um, more about our lives and uh, you know, how we live our lives now and how it'll affect what happens after we die. That's gonna be a big part of this chapter. So um, we pick it up here in Luke chapter 16, verse one. It says, and he said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Okay, so what's a steward? Jesus is now talking about um, a story. Now, the big question is, by the way, um, is this a parable? Well, the first, the first um, I should say that, you know, chapter 15, those three parables we saw last week, um, you know, we had the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, and they were three parables, maybe one parable in three stanzas. We saw that last week. But many Bible scholars say what's, what Jesus is actually saying in chapter 16 are actually real stories. And the reason why is it doesn't say, and he spake another parable unto them. He doesn't say that. It just says, um, he says unto his disciples, um, there was a certain rich man. He didn't talk about a parable. And there's also detail in this story that parables often don't afford. So most scholars believe these are actually real stories uh, that Jesus knows about, which is kind of interesting because it deals with life after death to a degree, some of this. But a steward, who's a steward? In, in, in Bible times, uh, it's one who managed another's wealth. We might, we might call um, that, you know, modern day, a financial advisor or someone who's actually, you know, working with someone else's money to make money. Um, but the idea is faithfulness uh, in your stewardship. 
is what uh, this steward was lacking. And he, he was, uh, as it says here, he was wasting the goods. Um, and we don't know the details of that, but he was not a good steward. Um, so he's, he's basically, you know, uh, supposed to take care of everything. Uh, it's funny, I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, um, we, um, we were studying the stock market in high school. And so they, they had us uh, invest just a few dollars, you know, and you can invest in anything, you know, you can put some money into it. But we, we, some of us put our money together and got uh, five shares of Disney stock back in 1982. Um, and we watched it. Now, now, you know, when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. I, I always went to the newspaper. It's a thing we used to get it. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'd go to the newspaper and I always, you know, I'd go to the sports section and I'd go to the comic section, but that's pretty much it. Um, but then, uh, but then once I had shares of Disney stock, man, I'd find those little tiny, remember the little tiny letters of all the stock market stuff. And I would find where Disney was to see how my shares did. And that's because I was now a steward of that money. I wanted to make sure we were, you know, doing the right thing and holding on to it as long as we should or whatever. We lost everything. Uh, it's a good thing we didn't keep it till now though. They're, they're really losing. Uh, uh, go woke, go broke. But, um, but that's a whole other story. The implication here though um, is the steward was not watching, was not caring for the, the, the money the way he should have. So, um, you know, the implication we're about to read here is that the Lord wants us to be good stewards, and we're going to see what happens uh, to this guy. Um, now, a steward uh, in the Bible, um, uh, one of the things that we should know about this is um, God has entrusted you to stewardship. This is something, before we read the rest of this, I want you to kind of realize how it applies to you and to me. We are called stewards in the Bible. In fact, Timothy told, uh, was told by Paul the Apostle, uh, be a good steward. Um, and that's one of the things that we're supposed to do. Um, you, you know, we're, not, we're, we're basically supposed to manage what God has set before us. What has the Lord given you? Some of you might say, nothing. Well, you ought to rethink that one. Uh, that's just, uh, we're being spoiled uh, and entitled. What has God given you that you should be a good steward of? Because there's so many concepts in the Bible about being faithful in the small and then the Lord will let you uh, have more to be faithful over if you're faithful in the small things. I think sometimes people wonder why God hasn't given them more, but the answer might just be they haven't been faithful with the small things. Um, what are the kinds of things we're supposed to be stewards of? Um, one is, our, of course, obviously our material wealth, just like in this story as the example. Um, you, know, uh, you know, being a good steward of the financial uh, money that you receive from work and, and what have you. Are you a good steward of that? Well, Brett, I give 10%, I, I tithe, but you know, I think um, the other 90% is also part of stewardship. I hope you understand that. It's not just giving the tithe. Um, you know, some people say, well, I tithe 10%, so the 90% I can do whatever I want with it. Um, I don't think that's correct. I think you should pray over your budget. Um, and you should say, Lord, how much should we spend on this? And how much should we spend on that? And seek the Lord and he'll show you which way to go. Are you using your finances for wholesome, good, godly even purposes? That's a, a material wealth. The second thing that I think we're supposed to be good stewards of um, is time, uh, time. Uh, do you remember this scripture there in Ephesians 5, verse 15? It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming, notice that word redeeming, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. 
Um, what does it mean to redeem the time? Well, that's kind of an important thing uh, because the days are evil. Do you sense the days we're living in are just a little bit evil? Um, they sure are. Um, but as it turns out, that's what we're supposed to do. Redeeming the time, the word redeem there in the Greek, uh, interesting word, hard to pronounce, exagorazo, which means, um, the, look at these definitions. These are from the Greek dictionary. By payment of a price to recover from the power of another to ransom or to buy off. But in this context, I believe it's more the second one. To make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. So that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchase of money by which we make the time our own. That's, so it's a really specific word that has two specific meanings and what have you. Um, so using your time, are you using your time well? Are you a good steward of time? Something to ask yourself, pray about. Also your gifts and abilities. And, uh, for example, 1 Peter 4.10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. By the way, the, the grace of God is what we're supposed to be good stewards of. That's what Paul, when Paul said, be a good steward of the grace, um, that's, that's such an important thing. Some of us move very quickly into legalism, brutality, the law and rules and regulations, but we're supposed to be good stewards of grace uh, according to the Bible. So that's, that's an important thing there. So are you good um, at, at uh, redeeming the time? And then also your giftings and your abilities, what, what you, every man has received the gift, so minister. Um, are you, what's your gift? What is your gifting? Are you good at swinging a hammer? Uh, of course, people don't do that anymore either. So are you good with a nail gun? Uh, or are you good uh, at building or fixing stuff? Uh, have you decided to use that only to be um, maybe income? That's great for income, but have you ever thought of using that gift to bless someone else? Are you good at singing? Um, you know, leading in song. Uh, that's something, that's a gift that the Lord might use of yours. Are you good at technology? Um, man, uh, there's so many things in today's world where we, we can help others with technology and stuff like that. Here at Athe Creek, you know, we try to keep it pretty simple, but I'm always amazed at our teams that make things look simple and easy. Um, but, uh, you know, broadcasting these services all over the world and stuff and all the camera crew and all those people, uh, most of that team is all, you know, volunteer people just making that happen. I'm so thankful that people are using their gifts and their abilities to help further the gospel and spread the teaching of the word. Such a cool thing when people use their gifts. Um, and you'll be held accountable, I think, for using your gifts according to the Lord has given it to you. And if you wanna see that gift furthered, you should use it to the fullest degree. Um, so we can go on and on. You know, what are you handy with? What are you good at? And are you using that gift? Um, sometimes that takes prayer. Don't just, you know, call the church office. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but press that I'm supposed to do something. Um, we're not gonna be able to help you. Uh, you're gonna to have to seek the Lord on that one. Lord, what is the areas I'm good at? By the way, I've noticed that the older I get, a lot of people spend their time doing things they're not good at because they wanna do something that they'd rather do. But they're almost afraid to take the thing that they really are good at and say, I'm gonna really excel in that. And um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do that heartily. Uh, whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, whatsoever you do. Um, it's so cool when people are able to use their giftings. Another thing that you're a steward of is not only the grace and, and uh, you know, your giftings and talents and time and money, but also the gospel message. First Thessalonians tells us this in verse uh, four of chapter two. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, 
not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Um, so um, to be put in trust, like it says in this, in this verse here, to be put in trust, that's stewardship. Um, so we're allowed of God to be stewards with the gospel. You and I have been entrusted. How, how have you been doing with that? Have you buried your gospel in the dirt? Or have you shared the gospel and planted seeds wherever you go of the gospel of, of the good news of Jesus? This is the stewardship that we're probably talking about. Um, you know, um, uh, the, the, the whole thing is uh, saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? Guarding what, what he's entrusted to us. Um, you know, uh, I remember First Timothy 6.20 when Paul said, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, thy trust. And that's what the Lord is, is saying to us tonight with this idea of stewardship. Keeping good record. Lord, am I being a good steward? Um, investing. Um, 2 Timothy 2.2, it says, and the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men. One of the things that we're supposed to do is pass it along. Uh, the things that we have been given, that's what we're supposed to pass along to others. How thankful I am um, for the you know, time that I had growing up listening to good Bible teaching uh, and hearing different Bible teachers uh, through the scriptures and studying scriptures from, and, and even, you know, commentaries from guys that are now long gone, you know, uh, but how thankful I am that, that I get to stand on their shoulders, old J. Vernon McGee or Warren Wearsby or, you know, um, Matthew Henry or, you know, the, the commentaries of the old dudes are great when you're studying the Bible. I'm so glad those guys did all the heavy lifting. And they were good stewards of what they were given. And then we should entrust those things um, as, we, as we spread that along. By the way, if you're, if you're taking stuff that I am teaching here, good. Now, it's not good to plagiarize if you're the Harvard uh, president. <laughs> but could I say plagiarism is okay when it comes to the things of Scripture? Um, you know, when, when we're talking about the Bible, um, I hope you know anything I say up here, it's Fair game. We should be passing the things we're learning here along. You say, well, Brett, I don't know if I can put it in a different way than you put it. Um, hopefully you will, because my way is not the best way. But, but uh, if, if that's all you can do, great. Uh, let's pass on the things. A lot of stuff I share are things I've gleaned and learned from the uh, church, uh, you know, people who've gone before us and, and done the heavy lifting. So the enemy wants to rob the church of good stewards. You know, Jude uh, talks about how the enemy wants to uh, rip us off. Jude uh, verses three and four, for there are certain that creep in unaware who were before ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord our God. Um, that's the, the, that's the, the pushback the enemy wants to thwart your stewardship of the things God's entrusted to you. So like a steward, we'll be held accountable for what the Lord's put before us. Finally, one more verse before we read on. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. It says, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So this is the, uh, the reason I showed you all these verses because this is really what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about stewardship and hopefully we're gonna be um, good stewards. So check out what happens here with this bad steward. Remember, he's a steward accused of wasting the goods. Verse two, it says, um, and he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship for thou mayest be no longer steward. In other words, 
not you're fired, but you better give account here or else you're fired. So there's, he's sort of hanging by a thread here. Uh, um, he seems to have pulled it off for a while, but now he's being held accountable. He's got to face the music as they say. So verse three, then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg, I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then said he to another, um, and how much thou owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write four score or 40. And verse eight, the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. So what we see is the steward goes out and says, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much done. I'm gonna be fired. So what I'm gonna do is try to make some friends before I'm completely out. So I'm gonna go and tell those people that owe my Lord, my master, uh, the, the goods, I'm gonna give them a, a, a you know, Black Friday deal, a uh, big discount, 50% off uh, he gives to this first guy. Um, and the guy's like, cool. Uh, but he's hoping that'll gain favor with that guy. So that when he's thrown out and homeless, maybe that guy will be gracious to him. That's kind of his plan. Um, now, this is interesting. This, the second guy gives a 40% discount, uh, right down for, uh, 40 or, you know. And verse eight, when the Lord commanded, uh, commended uh, the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Now, this is an interesting thing. What's the Lord do? He says, good job. Yeah, but what about the other 50% or, you know, 60%? Um, is that okay that, he, that the steward lost everything? Well, it says here, for the children of the world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Um, and it goes on, verse nine, and I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Um, so here we see this, this foolish steward and bad, but is commended for doing something that may seem at first to be kind of dishonest. If I give these people a discount, I'll befriend them when the master fires me, I'll have friends. Instead of complaining about what he couldn't do, he actually did something. I think sometimes the Lord actually requires of us just to do something rather than sitting around and doing nothing. I think sometimes we don't move. We fail to move and do anything because we're afraid or because we could care less or apathetic. But whenever the steward just even tried for a half a second to do something, the master says, I commend you for that. Um, if God is the master and we're the foolish steward and we haven't done the best with our money, time, gifts, gospel message, talents, um, we could get bummed out about how, you could say, Pastor, yeah, thanks for starting out about stewardship in 2024 here. Uh, I got a lot of work to do and I'm not very good at all that stuff you just talked about. Well, you, you could be tempted to sit around and do nothing or you can say, I'm gonna just take what I can do and, and start turning a new leaf. Um, this this, this uh, steward does something that is sort of like repentance, where you, you change around. Does repentance mean you're perfect? No, but it does mean you've done an about face, and that's what this guy does. So you could be bummed out, or you can get to work and be a good steward uh, in the best way you know how, and let the Lord take care of the rest. 
Now, um, this idea of the money part is um, Jesus is gonna even get more in deep uh, on the money issue. Check out verse 10. It says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, this idea of mammon. Uh, What is mammon? Well, mammon is a funny word. Um, The Greek word for this this, uh, word mammon is um, mammonas, which means um, uh, worldly wealth or riches. Um, and, and then it's also sort of personified and opposed to God, which becomes sort of a word of, like it's a God, almost like the gods of the Old Testament. You know, there's a God of money. Um, I believe we serve mammon more than we serve kind of uh, some of the other gods like Ashtoreth. Of course, Ashtoreth represented sexuality. We serve that too in modern times. We just don't have a little stone goddess. Um, you know, prosperity was Baal worship, but mammon is just downright worshiping money, the worldly wealth, uh, um, secular gain. Another term you'll see uh, for this idea of mammon in in the Bible from Paul and Peter is the terms uh, filthy lucre uh, is sort of the idea there. Um, Is money in and of itself bad? Um, No, but it's the love of money. Remember what 1 Timothy 6.10 says, you know, for it's the love of money, which is the root of all evil, which some have coveted after the Bible says. So the love of money um, is this, this part of worshiping, which is, uh, which is what, what uh, is the problem. So, um, so this idea of mammon, uh, now this is, this is one of the things that I think tithing is so important uh, to check yourself on. Remember we did a teaching uh, when, it was, when we were going through uh, Luke 11, when Jesus saw how they were tithing and we talked about tithing. We only talk about money and tithing when it comes up in through the Bible. So if you're just joining us tonight, oh, one of these churches always talk about money. Uh, no, that's not what we're doing here. We're going through the Bible and we're talking about money here. But um, when it comes to godless gain or money or filthy lucre, the love of money, it can be such a, a trip uh, hazard for people. Um, and there's so many warnings in the Bible about it. Um, we've done full teachings on tithing as it comes up in the Bible, but um, one of the things we're supposed to do to break this idea of mammon and what Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 16 is um, you know, committing your trust in, in worldly riches or are you gonna put your trust in true riches, verse 11? Um, how, do you, how do you know how to do that? Um, there is a good way to deal with money and there's a bad way to deal with money. Um, and the good way is very clear in the Bible. Um, now, I, like I taught before, we don't have, the tithing is not a legal law that you have to do. Um, that's a law from the Old Testament. But like I taught a few weeks ago, we were in Luke 11, it's more of a get to than it is a got to. Um, we get to give one, one chunk of our income to the Lord. And I believe there's a good rule of thumb and that's the 10th. That's what the word tithe means one-tenth. 
And so I'm so thankful, by the way, for the uh, people at Athey Creek that just give a tithe uh, to Athey Creek on a regular basis. It's just part of the way the Lord outlines it as a get to in the Bible. And it really allows us to do what we do here at Athey Creek. I always kind of marvel at the people that come and say, whoa, look at the fancy building. And I kind of go, it's a warehouse. We built a warehouse because we have lots of people. And these are all people that gave of their tithes and offerings to make this sort of a place where we can have a roof over our head. It's not fancy or flashy. It's just, uh, we did it as economically as we can, but there's always those people. And those are the same people that haven't given usually at all, uh, which is really funny. They, uh, there's a, a funny thing that was, as soon as somebody starts talking about all that, why are they adding more car parking? Have you ever been in the sanctuary? Um, that's why we're adding more parking spaces. Um, um, by the way, on that, uh, we're still uh, saving our pennies uh, faithfully as much as we can because we know the building project is coming at some point, some time. We're still kind of held up in the, in the, um, with the county, uh, Clackamas County. Um, and uh, we've got a lot, don't, don't feel like you have to write a letter and, and uh, so many sweet people have tried to offer help. We have really good help, uh, brilliant people, brilliant strategy. Um, it just doesn't seem like the Lord is opening uh, the door right this minute. We have a federal lawsuit of religious liberties, actually, because we had a permit to build the full building. Uh, it was all ready to go. It was a done deal. We paid for it years ago. And then the county just on a whim said, yeah, you guys can't build that anymore, even though we already did everything to have the permits. And uh, so that's what we're saying. We, should, we shouldn't have had to get the conditional use permit to begin with. Um, for, for a couple of reasons that I don't have time to go into, but we did. We just wanted to be good, you know, gracious. And we went and got the conditional use permit years ago to build the whole thing. And then they just kind of said, uh, no. And, and then they said yes. And then they said no. And then they said yes. And then they said no. So they've been waffling themselves, finally saying no. So, so um, uh, it's kind of cool uh, that the Lord has timing on this, but um but all that to say, we've been saving, and maybe the Lord is having us wait because we're, we're, we're just trying to save some cash so that when it comes time to pull the trigger on building, we'll be able to fund the thing because building's a lot more expensive today than it was in 2015 when we built this building. So, uh, you know, maybe this is the Lord's way of just providing. But I just have to say, I am thankful for the Athey Creekers who uh, just say, man, that's part of what we do. Um, and I, I would venture to bet that the people that are giving of their tithe are being blessed because of that. The Bible promises this. I know this sounds self-serving, but it actually is just a biblical thing. If you're a Bible teacher, you gotta teach this too. Um, like what Malachi chapter three um, says about the tithe. In fact, if you want, you can flip back there. Malachi chapter three or just listen as I read, Malachi 3, um, the Italian in the Bible, Malachi, uh, verse 8. It's Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. It says there, um, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? Because you say, wherein have we robbed thee? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You, have cur you are cursed with a curse. Do you ever feel like your money's cursed? Like, have you ever gotten a raise and it just went down the tubes? And you're like, where did my raise go? That's, that's what money does. It's a curse. And he says, you know, you've been cursed because you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now or test me is what he's saying. Saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it. 
and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in its field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. There's three components to this that I think um, are really cool. And, and this is one that my parents taught me when I was a kid about tithing. And I've never seen this proven wrong. Uh, the three components, the first component of this, the Lord says, I'll reward you. If, you. if you give of your tithe, I'll reward you. See what he said in verse 10? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And by the way, the storehouse is where the food is. And where the, uh, you know, the idea from the Old Testament picture to the New Testament truth is the food is where the teaching is, uh, where you're taught, where you're attending church. Um, it's, it's the tithe that goes to the Lord in the church's context. Um, I believe personally that um, the church is where the tithe belongs. Offerings are over and beyond the tithe and they go to whatever um, you would like to donate to. I think that's an important thing. But it's the church that I think is where the storehouse is. So wherever you're fed, if you're, if you're fed at a, at a church, that's where your tithe belongs, the storehouse. But he says, I'll reward you. Bring your tithes to the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now um, I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out you a blessing. There won't be enough room to receive it. Um, some of you know, you can say, this is what the Lord does. When you give back to the Lord that which is his, you can't outgive God. So number one, he'll reward you. The second component of this is he'll rebuke the devourer. Um, verse 11, um, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. That's, there's, there's someone called the devourer. And I believe it's the enemy, Satan. Um, and when you feel like your money is just going down the tubes, you're like, where's it all going? You know, how am I doing this? What's going, you know, you might wonder, is the devourer taking advantage of you? And the way you, you do that is by giving of the tithe. And then the Lord says, I will rebuke the devourer. Um, that's kind of an important part of that. And then thirdly, um, I'll revive your land and make you fruitful. Verse 11, second part there, uh, the fruit of your ground, um, will be blessed and the nations will call you blessed. So this is an important part of, of just being a good steward of that which the Lord has given, starting with the tithe and offering. But I also, again, believe like Luke's saying here, it's not just the 10%, it's also the other 90% to say, am I using that in a way that's um, a blessing to God? The stewardship is important. Are you paying your bills on time? Um, are you, as a husband, providing for your own household? Uh, the Bible says that if you're a man of the house and you're not providing for your own house, you're worse than an infidel. That's a pretty strong admonition uh, to um, us fathers in the Bible. Now, some people say that's misogynistic, um, but I just say that's biblical. Uh, that's what the Bible says. So uh, that's something to always kind of keep in mind. Um, are you uh, being faithful in giving uh, over and beyond the tithe? Um, having a giving spirit, that's an important part too. Well, so in our text here, back, uh, back here at uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 11, if, if you have been faithful, not in, in the unrighteous mammon, um, who will commit your trust in the true riches? In other words, you gotta be faithful in the small before the Lord's gonna be faithful in the bigger things. And that's an important thing. He's faithful. The question is, are you faithful, the faithful steward, before being entrusted um, some people say, why haven't I had that opportunity like everybody else? Or why haven't I been given that job? Or why haven't I been you know, accepted in that role? Um, it might have to do with whether or not you're faithful in the small before being given bigger things. 
Um, there's this idea of being proof, uh, proven as a steward. Um, and that's an important thing. I think that um, it starts with the small things and then moves bigger. It was the founder of Quaker Oats, um, one of the wealthiest men in Chicago when he died in 1943, Quaker Oats founder Henry Parsons Crowell um, started, he, he bought a, a, a bankrupt uh, grain mill and then started his Quaker Oats. He was not a Quaker actually, um, but he, he was a guy who was a uh, Christian and he, um, he loved the Lord. And the Lord told him early in his business to start tithing one-tenth of all that he made to the church. And so he did. And, and then shortly after that, the Lord just blessed his business. So the Lord told him to give 20%. Um, and he did. And his business got blessed even more. By the end of his business, when he died, he was giving 70% of his earnings to the church. Um, was very instrumental in the founding, you know, and paying for Moody Bible Institute. He was very much a part of all that stuff. Um, just a really amazing guy. But he's kind of the classic example. Some guy's just faithful in giving, and he, said, he just kept giving until he was giving 70% of his income. Um, and the Lord said, oh yeah, I can outmatch that. And he just kept growing. I think that's a story that's told. I bet there's stories like that. How many of you in here, by show of hands, have actually had that happen as an example in your own life personally? Raise your hand. See, look at that. There's a, there's a lot of people who can say, I can say the Lord has blessed my life as I've just faithfully given to him. Um, well, um, now, um, <laughs> as we read through this though, um, it goes on, where were we? Uh, verse, let me reread verse 13, because this is important. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and the love of money, which is the root of all evil. It's kind of the idea there. Um, very important uh, to see that. Um, if that's your case, it might answer a lot of the reasons why life isn't going so well. Be careful not to serve money. So many people live for dollars, for income, and they put everything else on the side, and that's gonna hurt you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Well, uh, verse 14, the Pharisees, by the way, some of you right now are saying, I don't know if I like what you're saying, Brad, about money. Well, you're in good company here, verse 14. Because <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you what Jesus is saying here. And what did they say? Verse 14, the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. That's a word we don't use very often, derided. What does derided mean? Well, I looked up the Greek word from Luke uh, uh, 16, 14 here, the word derided um, is another hard word to uh, pronounce, ek mukirizo, uh, which means to express contempt by turning up the uh, nose uh, and sneer at, to scoff at. It's like, you know, in some of those movies uh, where the wealthy are always, uh, you know, disdaining the, the poor people and they turn their noses up and walk. These Pharisees have that kind of, well, we're, you know, who are you to tell us about wealth? Um, and they turn their noses up and sneer and scoff. Um, so if you're thinking, yeah, there's another pastor, Pastor Brett just wants more money for the church. Um, that's, I can say uh, with 100% honesty, that's not the case. We're not in hurting or we're not, you know, in trouble. And the Lord has blessed Athe because there's been faithful givers. But I'm not saying this for Athe's good. Uh, these things Jesus, are, he's teaching us for our own good. This is important to see. Don't be the, the Pharisee who turns the nose up uh, and sneers or scoffs. I know there's gonna be those people that will do that. 
but it's not true. And the Lord, it's his money anyway. Uh, by the way, uh, very thankful for our governing elders, our team of guys that are the administrative governing elders that pray through the decisions that Athey Creek has uh, been through the last, you know, four or five years has not been for the faint of heart as far as church leadership and stuff like that. And yet, um, I'm just so thankful for the team of guys that lead this church, that I'm submitted to them. We work together as a, a plurality. No one's, I'm not the guy in charge. Uh, we, uh, we pray together about everything. We're not a democracy. We don't vote on things. Um, we're a plurality and we have to have 100% of the team of guys uh, agreeing after prayer and seeking the Lord before we do anything. You might say, if you know how boards go, how do you get anything done at Athey Creek? Um, the answer is miraculous. The Lord is able to do that. And it's been such a cool thing to see God. By the way, the reason we do that leadership structure, and we've gone over this in previous teachings, is because um, uh, it's, it's the biblical model that we see. Uh, is, is, it's never a, you know, a, a dictatorship. Some churches are kind of like that. Uh, I would watch out for that. Uh, some churches are more like, you know, uh, Intel with a boardroom and committees and voting. Uh, that, that seems like nothing but work, work, work. But, um, but what we do is say, we're going to circle our elder board around the Lord and pray and seek the Lord and search the scriptures and make our decisions based on that. And if one guy in the circle has a check in his spirit about it, then we won't do that thing. So it's been really cool. And I think the Lord has blessed that. Uh, and I'm thankful for the, the team that prays through how the money is used here at Athey Creek. Well, um, back to Luke 16, knowing these leaders are turning up their noses at him, Jesus then replies in verse 15. And he said unto them, you are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. How many things are there in our culture today are highly esteemed in the eyes of men, but are an abomination before the Lord? If they were bad back in those days, do you think it's bad today? You know, we esteem so many things as, as great. Um, celebrities. Are, are the celebrities in our culture, it seems like most of them uh, are, would be an abomination before the Lord. Their behavior, their lifestyles, their choices, their actions, what they do in their movies. Um, it's really kind of heartbreaking to see our culture celebrates that. Professional athletes. Uh, it's hard. You know, I love sports and I, I, I used to love watching you know, sports and stuff. But I have to say, it's been hard just to see kind of just corruption and the attitudes and the pride and the, the way money is used and the whole thing is just kind of sad. I still support athletes, um, but it's really hard sometimes to get behind teams and their, their different things. I have to say, it's, it's disheartening. Um, what would be an abomination before the Lord? Um, I think the Los Angeles Dodgers having the nuns of indulgences doing their, you know, uh, drag queen crucifixion on their LGBTQ night. Well, do you think that's abomination before God? Um, if I were one of the LA Dodgers, I would have to quit. I, I really would. I would have to find another team. Uh, good luck finding a team though that's not gonna be doing the same thing to get their little points on their political correct and woke score. Uh, it's, it's where things are going and we, we should pray for the professional athletes that are Christians. There's some good ones out there. There's even some good coaches and some good teams and it's really cool that there's people that are out there trying. But let me just tell you, those guys and gals, they're at the front lines and be praying for them. I, I think if I get into sports, 
Um, I'm almost rooting for our brothers and sisters more than I am for the team that I'm, that I'm watching, you know, because I, I know that that's a tough deal to be a professional athlete who stands for Christ. Um, we support that and we want people to, to, we should be praying for those guys. They, you know, they have a chance to be lights in a dark world. But athletes, we can talk about musicians and bands and money and those who make money, the Bezoses and the, the Musks. <coughs> it's so funny how people, <coughs> excuse me, get behind these people rah-rah because of their political persuasions or not. And we support them when you still have to wonder, would God support that person? Is God supporting that person? Well, Brody's rich. He must be supported by God. Uh, Wealth does not mean that a person's supported. That's a a false gauge of God's approval. Um, So be careful that you and I, man, the Bible says um, there in Romans chapter one, that those who have pleasure in those people that do such things are gonna be guilty as well. Like we're held accountable if we're taking pleasure in these sort of uh, people that are really an abomination. So isn't it something here the Lord says here um, in verse 15, um, that which is highly esteemed among men has become an abomination in the sight of God. We should be careful not to be celebrating things that are an abomination before God. Well, it goes on in verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Verse 17. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. What's this whole jot and tittle thing you read about in the Bible? One, not, one little tittle of the Bible, that sounds so weird. Um, excuse me, what a jot and tittle is, it's right here. It's really kind of interesting. Yot um, is the letter, um, the letter, uh, Hebrew letter, um, like in the name Yehovah, Jehovah, Yehovah. Um, and it's just a tiny little mark, the Yod. Um, that's, a, that's like a jot. Um, and the tittle is, um, well, uh, so, so the, um, see the yacht, there's the yacht in, in Jehovah right there. Um, with the, the tittle, it's just a little swish on the end of a letter like that, the tittle. Um, and you'll notice uh, this, the bit and the kaf are, are similar letters, except one doesn't have a tittle. You see that? You see how tiny that is? So what Jesus is basically saying, it's like, it's like in our language, not one dot from an I would be left out um, or crossing of a T. We say dot in your I's and crossing your T's, same kind of idea. Um, not one jot or tittle will be left out of the law. Um, Jesus says. Um, And uh, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Now, Jesus is saying the law and the prophets were until John, that is John the Baptist. Uh, Remember, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Um, And since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. So um, this is kind of the deal. God's word is immovable and unstoppable. That's, that's the main idea that we go away with here. Um, remember when Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse 17 and 18, he said, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm come not to destroy, but to what? Fulfill the law. For verily I sent you till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle shall no wise pass from the law till it be all, all fulfilled. That's Matthew's gospel, the same thing that Luke's saying here. Um, how would the law be perfectly fulfilled without losing a jot or tittle? Anybody have an answer to that? Jesus, 
Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the law. He didn't do away with the law, but he came and fulfilled it by dying on the cross. He lived a perfect life without sin, then dying on the cross, redeeming humanity for the sins of the whole world. This is how the law was fulfilled perfectly through Jesus Christ. Um, so if you're feeling kind of bad about being maybe into money too much or admiring celebrities that are an abomination before the Lord, good news, Jesus is the perfect one that we can rely on who perfectly fulfilled the law. Well, um, then verse 18, whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. And then he's gonna go and tell a parable about a rich man. Now you say, Brett, what does adultery have to do with anything here? Um, okay, talking about stewardship of money and then this, uh, the idea of putting away one's wife. Um, do you understand that that was celebrated in the first century? That there was an argument uh, among the Pharisees about what was grounds for legal divorce. And it was like, well, if your wife burns the eggs in the morning for breakfast, can you divorce your wife? And most of them were saying, yeah, that's a divorceable offense. Um, like, like almost any stupid reason they could come up with, they were saying yes. And, and um, you know, they would replace their old egg-burning wife for, a, for a, 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 an upgrade, a new improved model, you know? Um, and this was starting to be, this is, this is why it's here. Um, it, it was starting to be esteemed by the Jews. The Jews were saying, good for you, man. You dumped your old wife and you got a new one. Man, good job, man, good work. Like that was actually esteemed. Now, you, before we get too comfy in that, say what a bunch of wackos there in the first century. Well, there are circles today that esteem divorce in the same way. Um, if you go to certain friends of yours and you say, man, my husband's really bumming me out and I can't believe he does this and this and this. And, you, and some of your friends will say, dump him, divorce him. And our world celebrates divorce, even though we know it's not fun and it hurts and it rips families apart. And yet there are still people that esteem that choice over the other. And isn't it interesting that the Lord says, um, I hate divorce. That's what the Bible says. Um, so what was considered, you know, um, you know, by our, even we, I think, think worse of divorce perhaps than the first century. These people were starting to celebrate divorce and that was the problem. So Jesus sets them all straight and it has to do with, it's not a different concept than verse 15. Um, you've highly esteemed men um, that are abomination in the sight of God. One of the big ones of that day was you're celebrating divorce and that is not uh, good and it's an abomination before the Lord. Uh, how do we know it's an abomination? Malachi chapter two, jot that down. Verse 16, for the Lord, the God of Israel saith, he hateth divorce. Isn't it funny that, you know, my mom used to say, Brett, you're not supposed to hate, don't hate. Until I learned in the Bible, there's a bunch of things that God actually hates. Uh, it says that in the Bible. Um, and one of those, shockingly, is divorce. Um, uh, you know, Matthew 12, 31, Jesus said, wherefore I say to you, all men are of sin and blasphemy is forgiven unto all men, but blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven. The one thing I wanna tell you is, Divorce is not the unpardonable sin though. I wanna say that while God says he hates divorce, it's not the one sin that will get you to go to hell. And it's not the one sin that, will, um, that you can't have forgiven. I want you to know that because chances are there's a lot of people that are divorced in this room. Um, I love scriptures that remind me, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So if you are a divorced person, yeah, that was sin. 
but Brett, what if I had nothing to do with it? Were you part of the marriage? Did you say yes to that person when you agreed to? Like the, the, the first thing you have to do is own whatever you can and whatever you should in your divorce. Uh, and then say, Lord, forgive me for that. Well, Brett, he was the one who was a jerk. Probably. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're guilt-free. And if you think you're guilt-free, you probably need to have your eyes opened by the Lord and come to a place of repentance. Uh, none of us are really guilt-free. Um, we're all sinners. So that's kind of an important thing. But good news, he takes our old sin and, and does away with it. Old things are passed away. So I, I say that because uh, a lot of people have celebrated divorces. And, and even if you're one saying, I don't celebrate divorce, it's just what happened to me. Um, you know what? The Lord is able to redeem the years the locusts have eaten. And I've seen how the Lord has redeemed people uh, that have been through really difficult things. So I'm trying to let you know, God, he hates divorce, but he's still very compassionate and he loves you, uh, even if you've been through that. And I want you to know that. Uh, so don't, don't get all up in a tizzy. We get letters after messages about this. But again, I'm just teaching the Bible. So uh, take it up with the Lord. Um, verse 19. Um, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked up his sores. And you're like, that's gross. Why is that in the Bible? <laughs> Whenever you see something gross in the Bible, it's because the Lord wants to make a point, I think. He's, he wants us to realize this poor beggar, stinking sores with dogs licking his sores. Like this guy is, you know, in our world, we'd say, how pathetic. But the rich man lived sumptuously and had lots of money. Well, verse 22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, um, there's a huge contrast here in persons. Um, who would be this rich man to us today? You know, interesting, the rich man gets no name mentioned, but the poor guy has a name. This is another reason why some scholars believe this is a true story. Well, how can we know it's true? We're talking about Abraham's bosom and heaven and stuff and hell. Yeah, but this is Jesus who knows all things. So he can tell the story if he wants to. But some people think it's interesting that, you know, we have the, the named person, Lazarus, which makes it not feel like a parable, by the way. Um, but Lazarus, his name means God is my help. So this could be a story, not a parable. Um, but verse 22, kind of scary. Um, what happens? This, this, they both died. The beggar died and was carried by angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man um, die, also died and was buried. And verse 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Um, now, this is where people get really confused about some stuff. Um, see, see, a lot of people think there's heaven and hell, and it's just that simple. Um, but it's kind of not, and I'll tell you why. Because of this, this passage gives us so much information. It's not about life after death, but it explains a lot about it. That's what's interesting. It's about the wealthy man and the poor man, so we'll get back to that in a second. But where did they go? Well, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom was the place where the poor guy went and their other guy went to hell. There are different words in the Bible for hell uh, in the original language, Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus, and the abyss or abuso in the Greek. 
Um, those are all what people clumsily sort of call hell. Sheol is more uh, synonymous with the grave, uh, but it can mean death. And it also can speak of going to uh, hell, but mostly the death in the grave is what the word Sheol is associated with. Hades is the place that we're gonna talk about here. It's sort of half of um, the, this, this compartment, this place where the rich man and the poor man go. The poor man gets to go to a good side, that's called um, paradise, and the uh, bad dude goes to hell, or the word is Hades in the Greek word. So that's what happened. Now, it's a little different after Jesus died on the cross. We'll talk about that in a second. But here in Luke 16, um, the word for hell uh, is in fact, this idea of Hades. So it's that, it's that other half of Abraham's bosom. You're saying, Brad, I've never heard this before. It's because you never read Luke 16. Uh, this, this, is, this is where we get a lot of this. And, and people, pastors, this isn't a topical service people talk about in topical services in churches, uh, but it's one that we come into here. But what happened here? A quick version of what's going on. Both men go to Hades, uh, as it's called, um, but there's two sides with a great gap between the two. We'll see that in a minute. Torment side and then paradise or Abraham's bosom side. Uh, before Jesus died on the cross, and rose from the grave, everybody went to Hades, which is this whole thing. Paradise, Abraham's bosom, and this sort of version of hell, everybody went there. One was a place of torment, but one was a place that was nice. Uh, we don't know what it's called, but it's other than the word paradise. Um, now, this, this will start to make sense when you realize when Jesus died, something amazing happened. What Jesus did, what did he do for the three days that he was buried in the, in the tomb, his body buried in the tomb? Um, well, if you remember what Ephesians, it tells us. Ephesians chapter four, verses eight and nine. Wherefore he saith, when he, Jesus, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave unto men, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. This is where I believe Jesus brought those that were in Abraham's bosom in paradise he led captivity captive. That's what that, that word means. Captivity captive means set free. So it might say when he ascended up on high after Jesus died and ascended, he led the people that were in Abraham's bosom to what we believe and know now is heaven. Um, boy, there's a topic right there in and of itself. But so if you're a Christian and you die today, you don't go to Hades or Abraham's bosom or paradise. Question, where did the thief go with Jesus the day he died on the cross? Paradise. That's, uh, Jesus doesn't make any uh, you know, pretense about that. He's not, or today you'll be with me in heaven. No, today you'll be in paradise. That's a different place. That's the Hades side that's good. And Jesus went there. Now, Jesus uh, led those that were believers in the Old Testament, led them to what is today heaven. Um, and so um, he, he led them from this place called paradise. Now, let's talk about this word, paradise. Uh, Greek word, uh, Paradisos, which means um, part of Hades, which was, if you look it up in the Greek text, part of Hades, which was thought by the later Jews to be the abode of the souls of pious until the resurrection. So they're kind of partially right there. What was Jesus doing there in paradise? Does anybody know what was Jesus doing in paradise? He was preaching to who? I heard a child say that, the demons. Man, we, oh, it's our Bible scholar over here. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, the demons. Um, okay, extra credit point. Which demons? 
correct, the bad ones. And somebody said Genesis, <laughs> that's correct. And Genesis six is the reference. Remember there were some deacon, de- deacons, we have some deacons like that. No, I'm just, no, our deacons are not demons. No, there, there were some demons that were particularly disobedient and in, in that, you know, remember when Satan had to get permission from God to mess with Job, remember that whole story? Um, God has certain boundaries that he says, even Satan and his demons, I will not allow them to do certain things. That's known in the Bible. But one of the things that happened, and man, we don't have time to go into the Nephilim of Genesis 6, but um, there were demons that came down and had sexual relations with um, humanity. And it's quite a study. And um, it's interesting, by the way, uh, um, there's people that think, you know, uh, Roseanne Barr and Tucker Carlson had a conversation. Not, I'm not supporting either of them necessarily. Um, for sure, on this topic, they don't know what they're talking about. But they did say they suggested, um, man, are we, we seeing here today as Nephilim, like talked about in the Bible? Like, it's a little weird when you have like news people and movie stars and stuff talking about Nephilim of Genesis 6. I just think that's interesting. Um, now, I'm not arguing that they know what they're talking about at all. I'm just saying um, it is interesting, but that's what happened. So those demons were put in a particularly uh, different place. um, uh, And uh, it's like the deepest part of hell is kind of the idea. Remember I told you the different kinds of hell. I mentioned Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus, and the abyss. Tartarus is thought to have been the deepest place in hell where these demons were. So it must be linked or close to Hades. Jesus goes to Abraham's bosom and he doesn't preach salvation to these demons. He preaches to them, according to the scriptures, damnation across the great gulf into the deepest part of hell. Jesus is saying, you guys are toast. You guys are going down. Now, what's interesting about those demons is the Bible does say they're gonna have a last hurrah before they go completely down. Does anybody know, remember where those demons from Tartarus What's, when, when are they going to be seen again on the earth? Anybody? Revelation 9. Yes, we got some. So remember, that there's, some, there's, there's, there's a couple times, but one, one of the main times is when Jesus um, talks about, in, you know, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the seven-year period called tribulation, there's going to be demons that will come from this place, Tartarus, and be let loose into the time called the tribulation period. So uh, that's another reason why I don't want to be on the earth during the tribulation period. Um, these are bad demons that are going to be on the earth. You think the demons we have are bad? Wait till the tribulation. That's, now I get, I'm getting way off course here. I didn't mean to go into all that. But this is all when you put the Bible together, it makes perfect sense. Um, by the way, um, when it says he preached to these, uh, you see that in 1 Peter 3.19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. If you look up the context of 1 Peter 3.19, we're talking about those demons that we're going to. I'm not just making this stuff up. Um, okay, so he, when he ascended back to Luke chapter 16, he brought those believers, Abraham's bosom, and all the believers from the Old Testament, he brought them into heaven. Um, and by the way, uh, who would have previously found themselves in paradise? Uh, pre-cross believers in God. Before Jesus died on the cross, um, the, everyone who believed would be there. Um, when you die now, if you believe in Jesus, I believe you go to heaven um, where we're gonna be with them forever, which is great. But you say, so Brad, is Abraham's bosom done being used? Yes, I believe that's been retired. However, it seems that Hades, the bad part, is still in operation. When you die, if you don't believe in Jesus and you go down as a sinner, 
the same place this rich man went is Hades, the torment side. And I believe that's still in use. Does anybody remember? So the, the believers got escorted out of Abraham's bosom when they got saved by Jesus. When are the people in Hades gonna go to the ultimate hell? When we talk about hell, it's a place of outer darkness, weeping and wailing, gnashing teeth, eternal darkness, but it's also fire and heat. Um, what's the Greek word for that place? Gehenna. And that's the book of Revelation, chapter 20, where it says at the great white throne judgment, that's when everybody that's in Hades will be brought up to stand before the great white throne. And it's at that time, people will be judged by their works. And that's not a judgment you wanna be at. And then the Bible says the place prepared for Satan and his demons, Gehenna, um, the place of eternal torment. The people at the great white throne will be judged there and that's where they will be put in that, the ultimate place we call hell. Um, by the way, can I just recommend not going there? Um, I would recommend just accepting the free loving gift of Jesus Christ and, and God who sent his only begotten son to save you from your sin. It's a beautiful salvation God has given to us. So, um, so Gehenna, Revelation 20, burning like Hades but, um, and torment, but eternal, complete darkness. It's a real place. Well, you say, great, Brett, uh, can we keep reading? Uh, well, um, now, before we keep reading, in our economy, the rich man, he's the who's who of everybody. But in, in heaven's economy, the rich man is who's he. In eternal, eternity, check out Lazarus. Let's go on and read this. So it says in verse 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and saith, seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus, the beggar, in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you, there's, this, there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us. That would come from thence. Then he, the rich man, said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. This guy, man, he's just, he's, he realizes, man, I'm doomed. I can't be saved. He says, well, let, let me get a message at least. Do you get a sense of the horror of this? You might say, brother, this is a horrible story. Sure is, but it's one that's meant to detour us from going the way of the rich man. Um, it'd be better to be a poor man with dogs licking your sores as a homeless person on the side of the street and go to heaven than to be a rich man in this lifetime and go to hell where there's no help. And what is Jesus's, you know, or I should say Abraham's answer to this guy's, go at least tell my brothers, check this out. This is, this is, this is spooky, verse 29. Abraham said unto him, they, your brothers, have Moses and the prophets to let them hear, um, to, to let them hear them. And he said, nay, my father, Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Wow. The indictment here is you Jews have had the Old Testament and the prophets telling your truth for years and years and you've rejected it. 
and you're going to end up in destruction. Yeah, but tell my brothers if somebody comes from the dead. Jesus, nope. Um, Abraham said, nope, not even if a person comes from the dead will they have ears to hear. It's the stubbornness of humanity. I hope you're not one of the stubborn ones. I hope you're willing to repent of your sins and accept the gift of Jesus Christ, salvation through his son Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. It's the glorious gospel message. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stop there for tonight uh, and we'll pick it up next week. Lord, how thankful we are for your word that is uh, so rich and good. And this, uh, the idea of hell, it's interesting, Lord, that your son Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. And I think that there's such a tendency not to believe in hell, even though your word talks about these places that are very distinct and described in great detail. Um, so give us a sobriety, Lord, as we read this, not only for ourselves, but that we would and be good stewards of the gospel of grace, sharing with those who need to hear. And so Lord, bless the church as we um, live in these days where the world celebrates those things that are an abomination to you. I pray that we would have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Help us to see the world and its sinfulness for what it is. Help us to be separate, um, not holier than thou, not self-righteous, but Lord, that we would seek those things that are in line with your heart and your mind. So bless your church tonight as we go our way, we pray. Bless all these people who have taken this time to study scripture in Jesus' name, amen.